Good evening, and uh, thank you for joining. Tonight's class has been dedicated by an anonymous in honor of the yard site yesterday, Chav Zion Sivan of Elio ben Mordechai Atias. May this be a big schus for his neshama to soar to the greatest of heights, higher and higher and higher, and then channel down lots of brachas to his family and to his loved ones and to the anonymous sponsor. Um, and much, much bracha. Thank you um, for that dedication. So this week is Parshas Korach, and um, the, this uh, coming Sunday, the Shabbos, the towering element of this, this week is, for me at least, personally, is Sunday's Gimel Tammuz, and um, a day connected, deeply associated with, with my teacher and mentor, and the mentor of millions across the world, really the leader of the Jewish people. Um, and that's Gimel Tamas. Um, and it's a day of deep bonding, deep bonding, deep bonding of chassidim and world Jewry with their... Uh, shepherd and leader and teacher, the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Some people refer to the day as a yard site, um, and that's why people feel, because on a very external level that meets the eye, uh, that, that seems to what uh, have, has transpired. I do not uh, feel that way or see the, the day that, day, that this way um, as has been already stated many times, the Rebbe, when he became Rebbe, set out clearly what his, not just ambitions are, but in a very clear lay of who he is and what he's all about, and that his job is not completed until he ushers in the complete, the final and complete redemption. And the Rebbe said that his, his generation which means him at the helm as the leader is the last generation of exile and also the first generation of the Giyula. And the Rebbe spoke uh, the role of the seventh leader and the, he's the seventh Rebbe as a continuation and similar to Moshe Rabbeinu who completed the job of bringing godliness, bringing not just godliness but Hashem himself to the world but in the final generation on a much greater scale. And uh, you, know, you can listen to many of the other classes where I discuss this. So uh, that's why Yardsite, to me personally, doesn't apply to this day. Um, and again, everybody's entitled to, uh, you know, as long as something is, I say entitled, we're talking about, I'm talking about from a Torah perspective, people are entitled to the different views, um, as long as we're respectful for each to each other. Um, this is the way I personally relate to the Rebbe, and I see that uh, the Rebbe as... You know, as the completer of the generation of the exile, we understand. He picked up the Jewish people at the, at the darkest moment after the Holocaust and uh, set us into expansion, explosive growth and expansion and development. And that's you know, kind of the completing and reaching the last and final spark of holiness across the globe and retrieving it and elevating it back to its source and inspiring Jews the world over and not just Jews, Jews and Gentiles alike. That's the final touches of exile. But the real job, and that is ushering in 
the future and the Giyula, has uh, that part or side of the Rebbe has maybe, you know, the Rebbe touched upon it a little bit in the last two, three years, primarily, as I say, the primary focus of the future. Uh, but there is a pause in that, and we haven't seen it fully yet, and therefore I think the best of the Rebbe, not just I think, it's, to me it's absolutely convinced that the best of the Rebbe is yet to be seen physically to our eyes. Now, the Rebbe is obviously a very living entity in the world, despite the fact that we're already 27, close to 27 years in a state of darkness. Um, as you see, that I am motivated, I make choices literally in my daily life of to do or not to do based on, 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 on the sense and the, the feeling of his presence to me. Uh, I'm saying it's not a, not chas v'shalom, somebody who's not here, but someone who's very much here, probably the most impactful ent being in my life. Of course, there is Hashem, but Hashem channels himself and is through the union of Moshe Rabbeinu is that he's he's the one that stands between God and, and Israel, the Jewish people, and that's not a a a type of a media, medium that separates, or, which would be chas v'shalom idolatry. It's a medium that connects because the mediator in between doesn't have any identity, doesn't have any beingness other than to forge the bond, and therefore. It's not considered in any way an entity. That's philosophical and a lot to talk about, and that's not the subject of tonight's class. I'm just saying that in the fact that the Rebbe is, 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 is not was. And as, we, as I'm mentioning, I'm waiting, and millions of Jews across the world, or at least thousands of Jews, and, 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 and uh, are, are, are waiting every moment for the, the true light of the Rebbe to shine forth. The Rebbe will finish his job and take us all out of Golis and bring down the third base Amigdash and bring redemption to the world. In that vein, so obviously it's a very, very powerful day, Gimel Tammuz, and hopefully even before Gimel Tammuz we'll have the third base Amigdash and we'll have the, the full and complete Geula. Um, but I think, you know, one of the main teachings of the Rebbe, so much as this is a continuation of the Baal Shem Tov, the Baal Shem Tov's teachings of Ashgachah Pratis, the Rebbe being the one sitting on the seat of the Baal Shem Tov, what's called Mamala Makam, sitting on his seat as the, as the Rebbe of the Chassidim. Um, the idea of Ashgachah Pratis plays the most important role in all the Rebbe's teachings, that everything is by divine providence, especially something that relates to a Jew, something that re especially something that relates to a leader of the Jewish people, especially something that relates to the, the leader of leaders of the Jewish people, the quintessential leaders of the Jewish people, the really, really giants of the giants and those who play the greatest roles. And obviously, the one who has the task to be the closer of all the generations, obviously, every little significant element of his life is, and, and in his related to him is of infinite significance. The fact that Gimel Tamuz, which... as as uh, is a day of connection to the Rebbe, a day where the Rebbe, where you know, thousands across the world focus in on the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Again, whoever they 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 relate to it, those, you know, and it, you know, it's 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 one of these times that are people have different views and different uh, ways of connecting, but whatever it is, it's the day that the Lubavitcher Rebbe is highlighted and becomes very focused.
is related to this week's parsha, even though it's taking place in next week's parsha. So it's Chukas Torah, which is next week's parsha. But the the Shabbos that we're reading before it, the Erev Gimel Tamas is Korach, and many years Gimel Tamas comes out in Korach. It has to be that Parsha's Korach is very deeply connected to this day. So, um, on a very simple level, Korach is all about Moshe Rabbeinu. It's like, you know, the, uh, those who challenge and don't like the, the fanaticism of Hasidim to a Rebbe. Uh, and, and have have a hard time dafka with taka with chabadniks, because chabadniks have an extraordinary rebbe. If you have an extraordinary rebbe, your attachment to him is on an extraordinary level, in a manner that when others are looking to it and sadly don't have such an attachment to, don't have someone they can admire with such admiration, um, become very uncomfortable when you see someone so fanatical. Um, and again, that's also understood. Uh, that's why my answer to that is learn the Rebbe, study him, and you'll probably also become one of the fanatics. Um, it's very hard not to. Um, as you see, happens to thousands, thousands of people. Those who get close get absorbed. It's like this powerful, powerful magne- um, magnet. It's incredible, intense uh, gravitational pull. It's like the Suction is is just irresistible. Uh, if you take not just a peak, if you take even if you take a peak, it's powerful. But if you go deeper and start leading and learning and mind blowing, everything is mind blowing. The person is just not some levels that are beyond beyond uh, beyond our comprehension and beyond our understanding. Um, where was I going with this? So, um, what was I saying with this? We were, oh, so, so people have a problem. And they say like, oh, come on. This is like too much fascination with a human, which what they would claim is a human being. Um, no. What makes Parshas Korach, all the other problems, the Jewish people have many problems, but all the other problems were not problems, were problems with God. They, they, they uh, rebelled against God. Uh, there was some kind of a, you know, and Moshe comes to defense and so on and so forth. But this week's Torah portion, God is standing up for the honor of Moshe. The main problem in the parsha was a fight against Moshe. It was really a fight against Moshe, even though it manifested as a fight against Moshe's brother, Aaron, Aaron the high priest. But uh, as we find in the Tikkun that Korach, after he got swallowed up in the earth, his main tshuva that he does is that he claims and he says, they heard him saying from down below, saying constantly, Moshe emes v'torah emes. Moshe is true, and his Torah is true. Moshe is true. You see from here that the main um, sin, the main blemish was a fight against Moshe. And God's enormous um, standing up for the idea that there is a Moshe, Rabbi. There is a leader, it is the leader of the Jewish people, and that uh, he's a, he's a channel from God to the world. And um, just like it was thousands of years ago, we had such leaders. There is no reason why a leader of such magnitude cannot reappear again at the end of days. And the Zohar says that it will happen. That Moshe Moshe himself is the leader that's there at the beginning and here again, not in physical, but Moshe in a, in some kind of spiritual reincarnation. And uh, we, 
we, um, we have this connection and this, um, this, this appreciation for those who allow themselves to open the books, to study, to learn, and to, and to open their eyes to, uh, to see the, the magnitude and the magnificence of the work of the Rebbe that just gets stronger and stronger, more powerful every day. If you leave your small little enclaves, or people leave their small little enclaves of Judaism and travel to the rest of the world and see, in the enclaves of Judaism, there's also massive amount of work being done by what we might call the Rebbe's army. But um, in the rest of the world, it's you know, just it's it's mind-boggling. So um, that's why we, we feel it's Moshe Rabbeinu. So that's the connection to Parshas Kairach. It's clear that there is the idea that there is a Moshe, and that every word that Moshe says is true. And even though, and then again, one of the challenges that came with Gimel Tammuz is that the Rebbe said that Mashiach is about is is ready to come, and here we are, 27 years later. The Rebbe seems to have left, at least in the physical sense, has left the scene uh, on the most immediate flesh that we see with our fleshy eyes and we're left with questions and um, one begins to doubt or could doubt in the validity of what the Rebbe said that this is that we're this is a generation of the Giyula so we have to go back to the belief in Moshe even when things don't make sense, even when you know you have antagonizers, you have those that question, and even if you're questioning yourself, you have your own Yetzirah that asks questions on Moshe. There is a, that's a test of our faith, of how deep is our belief in Moshe Rabbeinu. When you know that someone is Moshe, meaning someone has that same godly presence, a powerful divine presence in him, and the communicator of the word of God, to the world in an utterly selfless way that is just beyond um, comprehension. So that's the message, Parshas Koirach. Parshas Koirach is the week. But obviously, it's the, the idea of Rebbe has to, has to really emerge from every Pasuk in the Parsha, from every element in the Parsha. So what we're going to like to do today is I'd like to share with you a talk from the Rebbe, one of the Sikhs, one of the talks. In which he's he's describing seemingly a little bit of a technical element in the parsha. It's beautiful. It's genius, as we're going to see in a moment. It's simple yet genius. And it has to do with more in the realm of halacha, of law, of pshutish uh, al mikra, this way of learning chumish and so on and so forth. Um, and yet over here, there is in the end of the talk, there's this short little one one paragraph which gives such incredible depth into the uniqueness of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, his leadership, and what he, the product that he produces. You know, one of the things that a Rebbe is supposed to produce is that a Rebbe produces Hasidim. There's the famous story that one of the great Hasidim of Rabbi Shneir Zalman of Liadi, uh, the Alter Rebbe, he had a Hasid, his name was Rabbi Shmuel Munkis. And he was known to be a very, let's just say it, a very jolly. He was the court jest, jester. He was an incredible holy Jew. And he was a very great chassid. Uh, but when you met him, you weren't going to leave before you really cracked up. He was really, really humorous and funny. And he has just his stupid. Chassidim were always happy. And chassidim were very into, uh, you know, they, they were humorous and full of life and are, not just were, 
Um, this was just an extreme example of a chassid that had, that had incredible wit. But he was a very deep chassid. He was a very great man. So one time he was hanging outside. He hung himself up. Not God forbid. He hung himself up outside the window of the residence of the first Chabad Rebbe. He was hanging there. And the chassidim walked by and said, what? what's with you? He was dangling from a rope. And he said, listen here, when you go buy a, shuster, a, a, a shoemaker's shop, what's in the window? There are shoes in the window. And when you go buy a, a tailor, there are clothing in the, in, the, in, the, in the window. So the window displays whatever it is that, uh, that it is you're selling, what you're doing. So when you go buy a Rebbe shop, where there is a Rebbe, you know, what, what are the, what's hanging in the window? So you have to have a chassid, because what does a Rebbe do? A Rebbe produces a chassid. And when you, a lot of times when you look at Hasidim and you understand, you know, what, what, what the Hasid is all about, even if you didn't meet the Rebbe, you get a sense of what the Rebbe was or is. Not, meaning the Rebbe of that Hasid, who he is and what he's all about. Like the Rebbe once said that he, he would be able to tell from any Hasid, Chabad had seven Rebbeim, he can tell from any chassid which Rebbe. And if, if, you, if, 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 if chassidim, you know, we expect the resurrection to happen soon, and all the all people come back, a chassid from you know, the third Chabad Rebbe, the, the, the Tzemach Tzedek, and let's say he's not wearing the label and, uh, or that he belongs to the Tzemach Tzedek, unknown, you just know he's uh, you know, one of the chassidim, but don't know from which of the seven generations. The Rebbe said, by having a short conversation, I would tell. Forget it, without the mystical elements of a tzaddik, knowing the deeper secrets of soul connections, but even just by through a conversation, I can tell, because I can see what his passion is, what he's all about, what his identity. The Rabbeim, each one had its own unique flavor, and unique element. So by knowing a chassid, you know, you know the Rebbe. And when, you know, so that's sometimes, a Rebbe is so high, it's hard to grasp a Rebbe, but when you look at what is produced by him, then you know. So today's, in today's class, from this talk that I would like to share, where the Rebbe ta talks about like an interesting species called the Levites. The Levites are, are part of the Jewish people, but when we look deeper into who they are and what they are, we find out that there's something extremely unique to them. When I say the Levites, I mean the Levites versus the Levium, versus the Israelim, and versus the Kohanim. Just the Levium, the, 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 the group of Jews called the Levium, they have a certain identity. That identity of the Levites, once we learn what the Levite is all about, we understand. The Rebbe doesn't say this specifically. I'm making the application that this is a testimony to the Rebbe's tribe. The Hasidim of the Rebbe today, and, and Dafka, the seventh generation, have this unique quality and trait that is just incredible. And sometimes it's overlooked. It's something so unbelievable. And by understanding that, you get to see a little bit, a little glimpse of you to understand and appreciate one of the primary qualities, if you can say, of a Rebbe that produces such chassidim. Obviously, on a Rebbe, it's infinitely higher and beyond. But the idea is there. So this is what I'd like to share with you today. Now, it might be a little technical at the beginning, but very, very exciting, meaning very interesting. And because we know the Jewish people are divided into three groups, there, is the, there are the 12 tribes of Israel, which make up what's called B'nai Yisrael, the, the Jewish people. And then there is a group called the Levium, 
and amongst the Levim from the because they are descendants of the tribe of Levi, which have a special status. A Levi is on, on in a group of his own, to the point that we know that there's a certain aliyah that we only give to a Levi, unless there's no Levi in shul, then we you know we'll, we'll give it to a. We'll give it, actually, we don't even give it to a Yisrael when there's no Levi. If there's a Kohen, we give the second Aliyah to the Kohen, because a Levi is on a different level, separated from the rest of the Jewish people. We can say a notch higher. I mean, God chose Israel, and He chose the tribe of the, Levi, the Levites to be uniquely designated to Him. And then there is another segment of the Jewish people, the Kohanim, and these is like the members of the tribe of the tribe. These are the descendants of Aaron HaKohen. And they have a really intense level of holiness. I'm fortunate enough, thank God, to be a Kohen. And I'm very proud of it. And nothing to do with me, but because I'm to be proud of, but happy about it. And, and <laughs> it is very meaningful to me that I'm a Kohen. So Kohanim are special. In this talk that the Rebbe gives in clarifying something, there is going to be bringing out the quality that the Levites, the Levim, have over the Kohanim. And the Kohanim are much holier than the Levim. And they have a much higher status than the Levim. Yet, there's a certain quality, Dafka, in the Levim. And that quality of the Levim is what I would like to apply in, in, today's, in today's class to the general thrust of a seventh-generation Chabad Chassid. And what I mean by that is someone who is molded and and a person, obviously, regular people, but someone who's gone through the molding of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, either by being a student of the Rebbe, a chassid of the Rebbe, during the time when the Rebbe was with us in a physical way that we can see him, or when one even joins and becomes a chassid at a later time um, in which he didn't hear directly talks of the Rebbe, but uses the books and all the teachings. In today's days, we have access to multimedia and all of that, and has molded, become, I don't mean just an admirer of Chabad, I'm talking about people that have learned and developed themselves according to these teachings, have become a unique species, a unique type of people. They operate different, they're wired differently, and that is in a very unique way, but primarily emphasizing the quality of the Levites, over the Kohanim. Now, what does it do with this week's parsha? Because in this week's, in the end of the Torah portion, there is a the because Korach he was a Levite, he fought against Moshe, against Moshe, but against the priestlyhood of Aaron because he he wanted that the Levim should have the status of Kohanim. But in the end, God puts them all in their place, and He delineates or specifies very clearly what is the role of the Kohanim, what is the role of the Levim. And he speaks about the both of them are special and both are unique, but there's a different role. And he also speaks about in the end of the Torah, on the end of this Torah portion, Pashas Korach, there is a description of the gifts that are given both to the Kohanim and the Levim. First, it talks about the unique gifts that are given to the Kohanim. The Jewish people were obligated to give of their, of their, um, of their, uh, of their possessions, of their monies of whatever they have, produce, animals, cattle, and all the type of things they had to give a portion to the Levium and sorry to the Kohanim. 
And also certain gifts have to be given to the tithing, have to be given to the levium, a tenth, a mice, or whatever. So what we're going to do now is do an analysis on the difference between the Kohanim and the Levian, which is reflected both in them and in the gifts that they receive. We're going to start with the gifts that they receive by doing a little bit of an analysis in the difference of the gifts. And here it is. So in, the, in, in this parsha, again, this parsha is parsha's Korach, we open up. So it lists 24 different um, presents and gifts that are given to the, to the Kohanim. After it's done with the Kohanim, it speaks about the gifts that are given for the Levites. So this starts in chapter 18. Okay, Perik Yud Ches and Parshas Korach and Numbers, chapter 18. That's where it starts. Pasuk starts. Let me read the first verse. For Hashem says to Aaron, Atu Benecha Beisavicha, Itach. Oh, it doesn't talk yet about the gifts. First, it talks about that the role you have to play. You'll be, you'll be responsible for watching over your post, that no one, being that people challenged your post, you're now responsible to be vigilant and watchful that nobody who is a non-Kohen should come and try to do your work. This is work designated by you and only a Kohen is allowed to officiate, okay? And then after that he continues, so again, it's describing your work and then it describes the works of the Levites, but then, what I'm saying, where does it start with the gifts? Um, the gifts begin over here in, in verse number Ches, in, in Pasuk Ches. Again, in chapter 18, um, Perek Yud Ches, Pasuk Ches. By David Hashem al-Aaron, Hashem spoke to Aaron, I have given to you um, my truma. Okay, I'm giving you certain gifts. And it goes on to, again, 24 different gifts that God um, endorses in this parsha that he's giving it to the, to the Kohanim. So there is a Pasuk over here, the last Pasuk. This is Pasuk Chaf. It goes from Pasuk Ches to Pasuk Chaf. Is that the last? Yeah. That talks about the Kohanim. So it's a spanning 12 verses where it goes through the 24 gifts. As Rashi explains, where you have all the 24 gifts. So the last of those psukim, Pasuk Chaf, it says, Hashem says to Aaron, that you should not get, you will not get in the land of Israel, you will not get a portion. We know that Eretz Yisrael was divided, Israel was divided to 12 parts. Each tribe got a part of the land. So the Kohanim did not have a geographic location that belonged to them. You will not have a part amongst them. This is talking about the spoils by war. When the army went to war and had the loot, uh, they had to be divided evenly, not to the Kohanim. He did not have a part in that. Because God says, I am your lot, and I am and I'm your portion. I'm your portion and I'm your lot, your inheritance, amongst the Jewish people. What does that mean? I am your portion. That means your portion is me. We'll soon see better what that means. For, for Israel, I've given each one a portion. That's their portion. Portion in the land. Primarily, it means the land. Each in the land of Israel, I God gives the Jewish people each one, each tribe a portion in the land. For again, we're talking about the Kohanim, not the Levim. God says, "Your portion is me." I'm your support. 
I'm your, I'm your bedrock. You have me because you're mine. All of Israel is mine, but you are specifically mine, God says. And therefore, the, what it really means is, all, as will be understood, as I'll show you in a, in a few moments, I will see it clearly, all the gifts that, are, that the Kohanim get are not gifts that they get from the Jewish people, that the, the, the Jewish people give, let's say the firstborn uh, child, you have to give, do a pidyon you have to give five coins and you redeem your child. It's not really giving it to the Kohen, even though that's the way we do it. You're giving it to God. You're redeeming the child from God. God gives it to the Kohen. Same as all the gifts. The, these are portions that we owe, we don't owe to the Kohanim. The Jewish people don't owe these gifts. The Jewish people don't owe, owe, owe these gifts to the Kohanim. They owe these contributions to God. And Hashem takes these gifts and, give, and gives it to the Kohanim. Why is he giving it to the Kohanim? Because they belong to him. They're his. So God is their lot. I'm your portion. I take care of you. You're on my payroll, God says. So all your needs that you have, that you'll need, everything you need comes from me. 24 different gifts span all aspects of life. Wine, oil, um, wheat, uh, grains, um, certain monies, uh, clothing, because they, they would get the wool from the animals was given to them, parts of meats from uh, portions of animals. I mean, every aspect of stuff that the Jewish people had, and all of that they needed to give to Hashem, and Hashem gives it to the Kohanim. Okay. By the Levium, now right after that starts by, by Pasuk Chaf Aleph, uh, verse 21, it starts talking about the Levites, not the Kohanim. For the Levites, when the Levi, to the children of Levi, Nesati, I've given all tithing. Lenachla. Gifts that go to the Levite. 10% of all the grain you have to give to the Levi. And here it says, This is an exchange for the work that the Levites are doing. We'll soon see why that's very important. So then in verse 24 it says, Ki asmaser b'nei Yisrael, because the tithing of the Jewish people, asheyerimu l'Hashem truma, that they're giving to God as a truma, nasati l'leviim l'nachla, I've given to the Levites for a nachla, an inheritance, alken amarti lahem, that's why I say to them, betoich b'nei Yisrael lo yinchalo nachla, that the Levites should not inherit an inheritance amongst the Jewish people. So by the Levites, it's similar to the Kohanim. By the Kohanim, it says that what? You should not have a lot amongst the Jewish people. Instead, you don't have a, a, a lot amongst Israel. I'm your lot. By the Levites, by the Levium, it says also the same thing. They should not have an inheritance amongst the Jewish people. Amongst the Jewish people, they should not have an inheritance. But it doesn't conclude, I am your lot. I am your portion and I am your lot. By the Levites, it doesn't say that. 
So in both places it says that you're not, your inheritance is not like Israel, like the Jewish people. But there's a striking difference that by the Kahanim, by the Kohanim, it says, I am your portion and I am your lot. And by the Levim, it does not say, I am your portion and I am your lot. So why not? The answer, simple. is simple. What's simple about it? The gifts, and this is what I was mentioning earlier already, the gifts that the Kohanim get are all gifts that are not given to the Kohanim, as mentioned earlier. They're all gifts that go to God, and let me show you that. And the first Pasuk, Pasuk Ches, Hashem says, I have given to you as Mishmeres Trumasi, the guarding of my Truma. That means my, what is being lifted up and given to me. Of all the sacrifices of the Jewish people, Nesatim, I have given Lomashcha, I'm given to you for, for, uh, for greatness. Okay? It, again, it says, God is the one giving it to us. It's, in other words, what I was saying is when the Jewish people, even though technically we get it from the Jewish people, we're getting it, I'm sorry, the Kohanim, even though technically they're getting it from the Israelites, from the from the rest of the Jewish people, it's not that they're giving it to them. It's the Jewish people are giving it to God. God gives it to them. I'm the one giving it. Here, in this verse, it's not so clear, so strong, but let's continue. Um, all, all the sacrifices are she, she will leave that the Jewish people are giving to me. It's going to be holy to you and to your children. Okay? These are parts of sacrifices that are uh, like chatos, uh, sinful offerings. Only the Kohanim got to eat the meat. The Jewish people didn't. The owner couldn't eat it. These are the, what's called the kodshe kodshim, the very holy sacrifices. But it's, you'll say, okay, those are like the, the sacrifices that go to the temple. Of course, it's gifts to God. God gives it to the Kohanim. No, but not even that. Not only that. Also, the lower level of sacrifices, which have a lesser level of sanctity. They're called kachim kalim, the light kachim, the light um, um, uh, things that have a, a lesser level of sanctity. These things as well, like shlomim, which is a le certain sacrifices that have, don't have that same level of sanctity. And the difference, let's say one of the differences is that the holy of holy sacrifices, you can only eat them in the temple. The, the light, the minor holiness sacrifices, you, even though you offer them in the temple, but you get to eat them in the entire city of Jerusalem. Okay? So those two and are certain parts that are given only for the Kohanim. Okay? So here it says also, God says to you, I, it's not the person bringing the sacrifice gives it to you. I give it to you. To you and to your children. And even stuff that don't even go to the temple. How about the regular truma? Truma is the gift that you have to give from your first, from the grain. You give, you take a certain portion, you give it to the, right, called truma. So again, kolchelev yitzar, kolchelev tirosh, vedagon, which is from the oils, from your wines, from your grain, rashisam, the first ones, ashe yitnu l'ashem, that the Jewish people are giving to God, l'chonesatem, I've given it to you. Again, emphasizing. These are all given to God. God is giving it to the Kohanim. Bikure kolashabartsam, the first fruits, they're bringing to Hashem. 
you bring this basket of first fruits and you bring it to God, bring it to the temple. And what does Hashem do? He gives it out to the Kohanim. You take it home. I'm not eating it, God says. You take my baskets, my gifts, you can take it home. Oh, kol peterechem l'chol basa sheyakrivu l'ashem. All first uh, born animals that they're bringing to God. But Adam, whether it's man, which you, you don't bring the person, you give in exchange money. Or by Behemoth, where you actually bring the sack, the animal, the firstborn, that you give to God. It's too, it's, it's, I'm also giving to you. And if you bring it to God, God has given it to you. So it is in all the psukim over here. Every, most, almost by all the gifts, it mentions this idea that they're given to God and God gives it to the Kohanim. And then at the end, as I mentioned earlier, but in the one verse before that, a it would, by the way, help very much when you listen, if you're listening to this class and you look inside, this is one of these classes that would help looking inside the Chumash. If you can get yourself a Chumash, get yourself a, and follow along, you'll see it. Kol truma sakadashem asherimu b'nei Yisrael Hashem. All the, it says, a, a, general, a general verse. All the lip raising of the holy of sacrifices that are being, that the Jewish people are yarimu b'nei Yisrael Hashem, that the Jewish people are elevating to God. Masati l'cha, I give to you. I'm giving it to you. So that's where we can understand why the Pasuk says, Ani You have no, you have no, the Kohanim, you have no other support. Where's your support coming? From me. And why is that? Because we'll see, Kohanim are servants to God. Because they're God's servants, they're on God's private prayer roll. So God takes all the gifts that are given to him and he gives them to the Kohanim. By the Levim, by the Levites, it's a whole different story. Even though there is tithing and so on and so forth that are given to the Levium, that tithing, those tenth that is given, you also take a tenth of your grain and you give it to the, to, the, to the Levi, that grain that you're giving is not being given to God. It's being given directly. It's the portion that the Levi has to get from the rest, from the rest of the Jewish people without it going first to God and then to the Levi. We see it actually in the, in the actually law is that there is no holiness to the tithing. Meiser doesn't have any kedusha, doesn't have any holiness. Truma is holy. Only a Kohen is allowed to eat it. A non-Kohen is punishable by death for eating Truma because it's God's food. Now, that's not true about all the gifts. There are some of the gifts that are given to Kohanim that don't have sanctity. But yet the general idea applies that you can see from all the verses that they're given first to God and God gives it to the Kohen. Some of them it retains holiness, some they, it doesn't. But they're all considered, the Gemara actually says it, in Masechtas Baba Kama, Daf Yud Beis, page 12 in tractate Baba Kama, the Gemara says that the, 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 the Kohanim is Mishulchan Gavoya Kazachu. That the Kohanim, are, I think it's page 12, Make sure that the Kohanim are, you know, page 13, Baba Kama Yud Gimel. Matnois Kihina Ki Kazachu, when the Kohanim are, receive it, Meshulchan Gavaya Kazachu, that's from God's table, they're eating it. The, 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 there's actually a Safri, the Safri, which is a, a Midrash on, 
Bamidbar. It says, Al Shulchani God says, You're eating at my table. Al Shulchani on my table at So God says, You're actually receiving your food from me. That's the Kohana. The Levites are not sitting by God's table. They're not receiving directly from the Abishter. That's not their gift. Chalef Avedasam. They need to be paid by the Jewish people in exchange for their work that they're doing on behalf of Israel, behalf of the Jewish people. The temple service is primarily done by Kohanim. And we're going to understand this better a little later. But the temple service is primarily the, the, the servants of God in the temple, those that are set aside to be the the, the priests in the in the base of English are the Kohanim. That would be like a king has his servants that are designated every day. They wake up in the morning, they go straight to the palace to serve the king. That's who they are. That's, that's their identity. Now, that doesn't mean that the rest of the subjects of the king aren't obligated to do some service to their king, even physically, not just paying taxes. There should be some kind of a service you do for your king, whether it's... <laughs> serving in the army for a while, or whatever it is, that there is a certain obligation. So all the Jewish people have to, would be required to do some level of service for Hashem, for the temple. For whatever reason, the Jewish people lost their merit because they made the golden calf, and they became non-qualified to do the service for the temple. There was some kind of a blemish, it, and it, 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 it's impeding on their ability of the Jewish people to serve the little bit of service that would be required from the Jewish people to do in the temple, they forfeited it. What did God do? In exchange of the Jewish people, he took the Levites. So the Levites are doing one tribe. Again, and when I say the Levites, the Levium, I mean not the Kohanim. Kohanim are a class for their own. The rest of the Levium, designated, separated, to serve on behalf of the Jewish people in exchange for the Jewish people. So as we'll soon see, Rashi says in different places, the Jewish people are considered, the, Le the Levium are considered hired. They are doing the work, so they're like the employees of the Jewish people. When you hire someone, you have to pay them. Therefore, the Jewish people are obligated to pay the Levites for them doing the work that should have been the work the, the should have been the work of every single Jew. And the Jew can't say, I want to do it, because he can't do it. And you got to go hire someone, just like, you know, I need to put in a new dishwasher in my house, whatever. I, I can't put it in. I can't install it. I need to call a plumber. If I, even if I wanted to, I can't do it, because I don't know anything about plumbing. I can't do it. So the Jewish people cannot do it, even if they think they know how. They can't. They don't qualify. They need to hire someone to do it. Who do they hire? The Levites. They have to pay the Levium for the service that the Levium is doing on their behalf. So when they're giving the tithing to the Levium, it's monies that are being paid. The Pasuk is saying clearly, the verse is saying it, in exchange for their service. That the, that the, that the Levium are doing the service in the OL mode, certain tasks that the Levites did, but they did it on behalf of the Jewish people. 
and therefore as employees of the Jewish people. And therefore they get paid by the Jewish people. So that's a, an a, a, a important difference, and that's why we find that by the, Levi, the Levites, Hashem doesn't say, I am your chelik, I'm your lot, because they're not receiving from him. The only thing we need to understand, how come it says, Ulibne Levi, right in the beginning, again in Pasik Chaf Aleph, it says, Ulibne Levi, and to the children of Levi, Hine Nosati, God says, I am giving. I am giving all the miser of the Jewish people in Nachla. So the way the, the way the way the Rebbe explains what this means is not that God is the one giving them the miser every time. The Jews give it to God, God gives it to them. No, God is from the very beginning establishing what's their lot, what's the portion of the Levites, their payments, their payments are coming from the Jewish people. And as it says openly, it's an exchange for the work. I'm setting it up this way. The question you do have is when you read, the, if this is true, you read Pasuk Chav Dalad, verse 24, by the Levites, there, are, there is one, two, uh, there's a few, uh, yeah, primarily four psukim, four verses. In the last one of those, in, in, in 24, here we have a, a seemingly a contradiction victory statement. It says the miser, the, the, the tithing of the Jewish people that they will lift up to God, that they will set aside. And what does it say? That the Jewish people are giving it to Hashem. God says, I give it to the Levites. So this seems to contradict. We built up a whole thing over here, and this seems to pull the carpet right out from under our feet. Because it says clearly that the miser, the tithing, is also the Jewish people are lifting up and giving it to God. And God says, I give it to the Levites. Seems to refute the whole thing. So we take a look at Rashi. Rashi therefore explains on this pasuk, Rashi is bothered, why is Miser called Truma? Why is the tithing, which you give to the Levites, called with the word, which is designated to the gift you give to the Kohen, which is called Teruma? So Rashi says, that the reason why it's called Truma is because we know that after you give the portion to the Levites, you give them the tenth, the Levites had to also separate a portion from their lot and give it to the Kohen. And after the Levium received their tithed portion, one, uh, a tenth of a tenth, they, they, we give them a tenth from, uh, the person has a field, let's say it's got, you know, so many, so much uh, pounds of grain, I don't know how you measure grain, and, and, and units. So you give 10, so you give to the, first you have to give to the Kohen, then you give 10%, you give to the, to the Levy. The Levy has to take 10% of what you're giving to them and give it to the Kohen. That 10% that the Levi gives to the Kohen, that's Truma. It's called Truma's Miser. It's the Truma coming from the, from the, from the tithing. That Truma's Miser, before you separate it, is mixed in the tithing and the amount that... That's why the Levi is not allowed to eat it. Because a Levi is not allowed to eat Truma. Again, it's punishable by death. So until he removes the tenth from it, his entire portion is called Teruma because it's got Teruma mixed in, potential Teruma mixed in it. He's got to take it off and separate it. So that's what Rashi says on this verse, that's why it's called Teruma. 
So based on this, we can understand. When it says in the Pasuk, the Meiser that the Jewish people, that the Jewish people are elevating it to God, it says you're giving it to God, it's not referring to the tithing. The tithing, the chilek of the Meiser, the part of the tenth that goes only to the Levites, that will eventually remain in the possession of the Levites, that's, that has never been given to God. That's given to the Levi. That's the Levi's payment that he has on every Jew. He's the Levi's got, you know, a tenth of your grain belongs to me because the work that I do on your behalf, that belongs to me. But since when the Jew is separating that, included over there is also the portion that's going to go from the Levi to the Kohen. That's why it's considered that when the Jew is giving it, he's giving it to God because in it, there is 10% in it that is now going, that is going to eventually go to the Kohen and that's called Truma. So that's why it says over here, Hashem, that it's being elevated to God. But otherwise, just on behalf of the Miser, it would be not be considered giving it to God because Miser is not being given to God. It's given directly to the Levi. It's, an, it's, a, it's a human exchange between people as payment for the, it's wages that kind of you pay the Levi for their work. And again, this explains very clearly why it doesn't have to say, or it doesn't say, it clearly can't say, I am your lot, because God's not. Now, this very idea, the Urachayim, who is, the Urachayim, who is uh, a great commentator, explains it over here, says it openly. And Pasuk Chavdalet. This idea that by the Leviim it doesn't say, I am your Chelek. Because the Leviim are not Zoche. They're not receiving a portion from God. And for that reason, if they would be receiving it from God, why would they have to give from their gift back to God? God is giving it to them. The answer is they're never receiving it from God. They're receiving it, the, a Jewish, a regular Israelite has produce, you have to give a portion to God. The Levi also gets produce. Where does he get it? Not directly from the ground, from the earth. He doesn't have real estate in the land of it. He doesn't have farms. He receives his wages for the work that he does for the Jewish people from the rest of the Jewish people. And from those wages, he also has to give a portion to God because his wages he didn't get from God. He got it from the, from, the, from the rest of the Jewish people. They give him a portion. So now he takes this portion and he has to give a portion away to, the, to Hashem. Truma, Truma's ma'isam and ma'isam. Ve'heim u'ma'isram and they and their ma'isar e'na elo keschiris hedioitois l'shoreis ha'kodesh shu'akoyen v'oyel mo'yed. They themselves, the Levites, and their miser and what they receive are considered not holy. It's considered, I don't want to say mundane, because there's no such thing as just a non-Kohen, considered regular, so to speak. They're considered a hediot, meaning a regular person who is an attendant or an assistant to a Kohen. And therefore, their, their, their food that they're getting also doesn't have any holiness. It's not coming from Hashem. Because they're an attendant both to the Kohen and to the Oel Moed. But they're not, as we're soon going to see, not considered priests of God. 
Now, by the way, I, I, want, I, want, I want you to understand something. In this entire technical discussion that we're going to have over here, once we finish this whole discussion, we're going to realize that the Kohanim are much higher than the Levites. Right? Much higher. <laughs> but when we're going to analyze it, after everything is said and done, and we're going to analyze it from the more spiritual thing, we're suddenly going to see the whole thing turn over. And precisely because of the Levium's inferiority, that's going to put them in a category of their own in terms of the uniqueness of their service and the specialness of their service and the extraordinary specialness of the service, as we're soon going to see. But you've got to wait it out to the end. You've got to bear with the technical element over here. The same idea the Urachaim says again, over here. It says regarding the tithing of the Levites, the, what they receive. It says they can eat it everywhere. You can eat it everywhere. This is in the end, all the way in the end of the parasha. Hashem says, the, you know what the Levium get, you can eat it everywhere. I Meaning there's no restriction. You can only eat it in Jerusalem. You can take it to Thailand. You can eat it anywhere. Atem you and your household. And the Pasuk explains, this is your payment. In exchange of your work in the, in the Oomo. So the Arachayim explains, what's the connection? You can eat it everywhere because it's an exchange. So he explains, because what you're getting is absolute chulin. Chulin means it's not holy food. It's, it's just mundane food. Why? Even though they're getting it kind of... A, he says, there's no holiness to the tithing. Like truma, truma is holy. This is regular, mundane money. Hashem tells the Jewish people, These are your wages to be paid. Because they hired you in their, on their behalf. This is your wages of payment. What holiness does it have? So you see from the Arachayim says it very clearly that um, the Levim, not them, and not their service have any level of holiness. I mean, more than the Jewish people. They didn't sin. They're not blemished. So they, didn't, they don't have this deep stain and scar that has been from the golden calf that the rest of the Jewish people have. And therefore, they qualify for ordinary service that everybody should have done, and they go in their place, and therefore they need to be paid because they're doing it not just on behalf of themselves, they're doing it on behalf of the Jews. They had certain jobs that the Levites did. They carried, in the time in the, in the, in the desert, they had even more work. They would, uh, they would load, uh, they, would, they were the ones in charge of, 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 of um, assembling and disassembling and carrying the tabernacle, the Mishkan, through the wilderness. But even when we came into the land of Israel, where there was no mobile or you know, uh, uh, home that would move from place to place, but there was one temple where there was no, no need to carry, they were the ones who were the guarding, they served as security for the temple, and they were the honor guard, and also they would play um, music and sing, and that was their work uh, for the Levites. Okay, but this is considered all in assistance. And when we say it's an assistance, two levels. They're working and they, we see by the Levian that they're um, being paid by, by um, their, their, the hirees, the employees of the Jewish people. And the other thing is that they're attendants and here to help out and assisting the Kohanim. So this would give us a general differentiation between Levi and Kohen. 
based on this, we need to understand something. And that is a small little nuance, but this makes a big difference. When it comes to the Kohanim, in the end of um, in Pasuk Chaf, when it, again, the last verse, going back to that last verse where it says, I am your lot. So on the one hand, it mentions, God says to the Kohanim, I am your lot amongst the Jews. I am your lot and your inheritance. But it emphasizes, B'toich b'nei Yisrael, amongst the Jewish people. I am your portion and your lot amongst Israel. When it comes to the Levites, it doesn't say, I am your lot. As I mentioned earlier, it doesn't mention that God says, I am your lot and I am your uh, inheritance. That doesn't say by the Levites, which means they're not, you know, considered belonging to Hashem or that they're, we don't find that by them in a, in a unique way. But by them it says something you, unique that it doesn't say by the Kahanim, and that is by them it emphasizes very strongly that they're not amongst Israel. Amongst the Jewish people, they should not take an inheritance. Which by the Kohanim, it also says that the Jewish people, the Kohanim should not take an inheritance like everybody else. But by the Kohanim, it does emphasize that they are amongst the Jewish people. These are these words. I am your lot, and your inheritance. Amongst the Jewish people. So by the Kohanim, it, it, it seems to emphasize that there is something that the, that the Kohanim are considered, on the one hand, God is their lot, but on the other hand, they're amongst the Jewish people. By the Levim, it emphasizes very strongly the opposite. You're not amongst Israel. You're not receiving a portion amongst the Jewish people. So it seems a little, a little strange. If anything, the Kohanim are more separated. The Levim are less separated. And yet, by the Levim, the emphasis is, they're not amongst B'nai Yisrael. They're not receiving a nachla amongst the Jew Jewish people. By the Kohanim, I am your portion, but we are B'toch B'nai Yisrael. So what's, what's, what is this hinting to? What is this saying? Um, so, the, the, the notion that, I've, that we just explained between Kohanim and Levian, that Kohanim are receiving directly from God, and they're gods, and God is their lot, and Levian are just seemingly working for the Jewish people, seems to be contradicted by two verses in Parshas Ekev. Again, we can't just say things by looking only in one Pasuk. We have to scan the Torah. So when you look in Parshas Ekev, this is in Deuteronomy, uh, verse Perek Yud, chapter 10, verse uh, 8, Pasuk Ches. So here it says like this, Moshe is talking, and he says, Be'esahi, he at that time, Hivdul Hashem HaShavit Levi, God separated the tribe of Levi. Now seemingly he's talking about the entire tribe of Levi. Especially because it says to carry the, the ark. Who are the ones who carried? Not the Kohanim. The Levites were the ones who did that. Lamed lefnei Hashem. To stand before God. L'shar say to serve Him. Ulevarech b'shmoi. And to um, bless in His name. Which Kohanim do. This is already the Kohanim. Because the Kohanim are the ones who bless. Adayoy mazeh until today. means forever. Al kein lo'hoyo lelevi chelek v'nachlo im echov. 
Therefore, Levi, the tribe of Levi, Moshe says, does not get a portion and a lot amongst, with his brothers, with the rest of the Jewish people. Hashem, who nachlosai, God is his inheritance. That God spoke, like, like God spoke to him. Like God spoke to him in the past, that God said to the, that I am your, on your lot. So this seems to completely knock down whatever we've just developed. Because here it's talking about Shevet Levi. And if you're going to be more, more precise, you'll see it's talking about Kohanim and Levim. Because as Rashi says over here earlier, it says, Lamed Lefnei Hashem, to carry the, 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 the ark, that's Levi. To stand in front of God to serve him and to bless in his name is talking about Kohanim. So the, the verse is so it's talking about both. And yet it says regarding the entire tribe, the Levites do not get a portion with the Jewish people. Hashem God is his inheritance. Says clearly, God is his inheritance for the entire tribe of Levi. Seems to contradict what we said earlier. That's one pasuk. Here's another verse in Parsha Shoftim. Lo kol Levi. In Shoftim, this is again in Deuteronomy, Perak Yudches, chapter 18, verse number one. They should not be to the Kohanim, the Levites. Kol Shevet Levi, the entire tribe of Levi, Chelek v'Nachlein Yisrael, a portion and a lot with Israel. Ishei Hashem v'Nachlosa Yechelun. They, they, the, 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 the sacrifices to God and His inheritance, they should eat. So this verse already is saying that you're, they, what are they getting from? They're getting directly from God. Ishei Hashem v'Nachlosa Yechelun. Yoichelun, they will eat. And the next person, even stronger. They should not have an inheritance, a portion amongst the Jewish people. Hashem God is his nachl. Like he spoke to him. And here it seems to be talking about the entire tribe of Levi. They shouldn't be Trukahanim and the Levim. Both it's mentioning. And it's, if, it, if it's not clear, Kol Shevet Levi, the entire tribe of Levi. And on that it says in the next verse, God is his inheritance. So we built up a whole explanation in our portion in Numbers in Bamidbar that there's a distinction between the Kohanim and the Levim. Kohanim are, belong to God and they receive directly sustenance from God. They're on God's payroll. The Levim are uh, hired by the Jewish people. The whole distinction. And the whole thing falls apart when we get to, <laughs> to Sefer Devarim. We have a whole different description. So how do we reconcile this? So the Rebbe wants to say, not wants to, the Rebbe says, what does he say? He says, we have to say that. That Rashi will learn. Again, this is all an explanation according to Rashi. We're going to see, according to Halacha, Rambam learns different, clearly. Maimonides learns different, but we're learning over here according to Rashi. Um, that, the, the, that Rashi will learn, then we, that the, both Parshas Ekev and Parshas Shoftim, even though it seems like it's speaking about the Levites, the entire tribe of Levi. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking only about the Kohanim. So let's start with the second one. It's going to be easier. The one in Pasha Shoftim. In Pasha Shoftim it says, Lo ha-levim kol shevet Levi, What does it mean, la Kohan? And it says clearly over here that God is his nachla. 
But the Rebbe says, hey, hold it. You're reading it wrong. It, when it says, Lo it doesn't mean to the Kohanim and the Levim. It means the Kohanim who come from Shevet Levi. We're talking only the Kohanim, not the Levim. Where do you see that? So first of all, the Targum Yonasa. The Targum is one of the Targums, one of the translators. So the Targum Yonasam Benazil says, learns clearly that way. I'm going to read the Targum Yonasam. Lo it should not be lechahonaha to the Kohanim, demin shevet levi, that come from shevet levi. It's not talking about Kohanim and Levim. It's talking about only the Kohanim that come from shevet levi. Cholik vachsana emachoy korban, shouldn't have a portion. So then it's not a question. Hashem unachlasa, God is his inheritance. Does Rashi learn that way? Is that pshat? That's what the Targum Yonason learns. How does Rashi? Well, if you take a look in Parsha Shoftim, a few psukim before that, it says in, again, in, in chapter 17, again, this is in Deuteronomy, in Devarim, Perek Yud Zayim, Pasuk Tes, it says, Uvasa ela kohanim halevim. You should come to the kohanim the levim. What does Rashi say? that you should go up to the Kohanim, the Levim. Rashi says clearly, Ha-Kohanim. Kohanim and Levim doesn't mean either Kohanim or Levim. Ha-Kohanim she-yotsu mishevet Levi. The Kohanim that emerge from tribe of Levi. The Kohanim that come from the, Le- the Levites. So once Rashi said it over there, it would, Rashi doesn't have to repeat it again over here. Who does it mean, Kohanim Alevim, the Kohanim that come from Shevet Levi, as it is mentioned in Targum Yonas? The only problem is the next words are Kol Shevet Levi, the entire tribe of Levi. What are you going to do with that? <laughs> it says openly in the passage, Kol Shevet Levi, the entire tribe. So the Rebbe says brilliantly, look in Rashi. On the words Kol Shevet Levi, Rashi says, what does it mean, all? All the. All is inclusive. Come, simply means to include the entire tribe, not just the Kohanim. The Rebbe says, no, look at Rashi. Kol Shevet Levi comes to mean whether the person has the Levi that we're talking about, whether he's bein tamimim, bein balimimim, whether he's complete with and whole without a blemish, or whether he's a blemished person who cannot officiate. Yet he does not have a portion in the land of Israel. Now, as you would think that only the Kohanim that are fit for service we know that when a Kohen wanted to work in the temple, they had to go through a physical. And they were checked if they had any blemishes. Many things disqualified a Kohen. Any defect in their physique and their physical body was a problem. So Rashi is saying that this mitzvah, when it says that, or, that they shouldn't take a part, they shouldn't get a portion because God is their portion, Rashi says, it says, Kol Shevet Levi comes, whether you're fit for service, whether you're not fit for service, you so according to this, Kol Shevet Levi doesn't come to include the Levites. No, this is not talking about Levim. It's talking about only about Kohanim. And about Kohanim, it means all Kohanim. Those who are fit for service, those are not fit, but you have to be from the priestly descent. And on those people it says, Hashem Unachlosi. So from Parsha Shoftim, we don't have a question. The one we will have a question from is in Parsha's Ekev. Because here it's a little harder to say that. Let's try if we, can, if we could get away by saying it. Well, there is something that seems to imply that we're only talking about Shevet Levi. Sorry, only about the Kohanim. 
Because in the second verse over here, where it says, Al Kain This is again in verse 9. Pasuk Tes. Perek. Perek. Perek Yud. Pasuk Tes. It says, chapter 10, verse 9. Levi does not have a portion with his, with his brothers. What does it say? Hashem hu God is his inheritance. So Rashi says, this is what Rashi says. Why does Levi not have a chelik? So Rashi comments. Lefi because. They were separated. To the service of the altar. Now, whose service is on the altar? Not the Levites. The Levites, Levites have no business with the altar. The altar is where you offer the sacrifice. That's only the Kohanim. The Levim, they, they're guarding, they are uh, singing, but that's not on the altar. Yeah, they accompanied while they offered sacrifices. On the altar, they, 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 they played music, but that's not called the service of the altar. The service of the altar means avoidus hakarbonois, the service of the korban. So Rashi says that's avoidus mizbeach. Now, if we're talking about the whole tribe of Levi, why does Rashi say? Because they were separated to the service of the Mizbeach. Rashi should have said, La'avodas ha-migdash. Migdash is a more inclusive work. It refers to the entire temple service, which can include Kohanim and Levite. Rashi specifically says Mizbeach. Rashi's careful with his words. So you see from here that Rashi's learning. We could say only the Kohanim. It's not the Levi. The only problem we have is the verse before that. That God separated Levi, and the verse says, to carry the which Levi are we talking about? The one who carries the, the ark. Carrying the ark was done by the Levites, not by the Kohanim. And Rashi even says openly, Who is that? Halavim. To stand before God and to attend to him, that's the Kohanim. So you have clearly is talking about the 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 Kohanim, the Hanim as well. What we could say and what we have to say, and, and we'll soon prove that we have to say that. Um, is that we'll have to divide these two verses. The first verse is talking about a general separation that God separated the entire tribe of Levi, Kohanim and Levim, and that's why Rashi, the verse does explain, speak about both. But the second puzzle. That speaks about Alkain Levi. Therefore, there wasn't a Levi Chelik Merchav is only referring to Kohanim, as you see from Rashi And over there, it's because the service of the altar is only for the Kohanim. And over there, it says Hashem say God is His Nachlo, because it's only to the Kohanim that God is His Nachlo. We'll have to say that. Why? Because, as we said, we said before, in Parshas Korach, in our Parsha, it's very clear. That there is a difference between the, the Kohanim's position and the Levite's position. But to understand that better and understand the, the essential difference between them, okay, is as follows. There are two ways of understanding the segregation and the separation, the hierarchy that there is amongst the Jewish people. You have Israel, you have Levites, and you have Kohanim. One way of understanding is that both Kohanim and Levim are in the same category of separation. There is the Jewish people, and amongst the Jewish people, God separated one tribe to be closer to him. He separated them from Israel, and they're both included in one separation. Kohanim and Levim, it's one separation. 
It's only that within that separation, there is two levels. That there are those that are separated more from Israel, and that's the Kohanim. They're like super holy. And then there is the Leviim that are separated, but they didn't get separated to be such so much higher or so much beyond. But they they're but it's in general, it's it's two dimensions in one separation. That's one way of learning it. And what in that sense, what were they separated for? They were separated for divine service. Particularly designated for divine service. But within divine service, these are the ones who serve in the inner service, and these are the ones who serve in a more outer service. But in general, it's one, it's one separation. There is another way of learning it. And that is that we're talking about two complete separate designations. Two complete. God separated Kohanim, and it's, un, and it's not because the Kohanim are like part of Levi, and now that he separated a chunk, and then he took a chunk from a chunk, a piece from a piece. That's not what happened. God separated the Kohanim as an individual group even before he separated the Levium. It's unrelated to the Levium. It's a category on their own. They happen to be that they happen to be from Shevet Levi, but it's not because the Levi, even before the Levi were separated, the Kohanim were separated. Now, if you think about it, if you learn the Torah, you see that that's actually what happened. In Shemos, in Exodus, when the Torah tells us initially the story of building a tabernacle, over there there is a story in the, this Parsha's Truma, is the Parsha in, where it talks about making the Beis Amigdash, the, the Mishkan. And the next Torah portion, Tetzaveh, tells you to separate the family that's going to serve in the temple. Aaron and his sons, and then, of course, the children that are going to come from them forever and ever. These are the, these are the priests, these are the Kohanim. There is no mention of Shevet Levi over there in Exodus at all. In Shemos, there's no talk about Shevet Levi being special and unique and, and, and given a job. It doesn't say that God is separating the Kohanim from the Levim. Not at all. It says, take atahakri velechas Aaron achicha. You, you separate Aaron, your brother, to make him into a Kohen for me. Kohanim were separated. In a later part of the Torah, which also in later in time, this was separated before we even made the Mishkan. God instructed Moshe, they will be separated. Then later, after the Mishkan was already established, and we already had Kohanim, God instructs Moshe, now go ahead, Va'ata, he uses the words, Va'ata hakri ve'lech, I'll tell you in a moment. What is the words he used? Hakrev esmate levi, this is in numbers in Bamidbar, pere gimel pasagvav. Let's go over there. Pere gimel pasagvav. God speaks to Moshe. In Pasha's Bamidra, hakrev esmate levi, Draw close the tribe of Levi, and position him, to be in front of Aaron Akoin. They should serve him. They should help out Aaron. They should guard his guarding. To do the service of the Mishkan. Okay, it tells what the Levium are. That means that the Levium were separated at a later time. It was a separate, it was a complete different separation. It's not like we said before. God made an initial separation of the Levites. And from the Levites, he carved out a group that are the Kohanim. So the Kohanim and the Levim are really in one category. It's just that the Kohanim are, like, like we say, they're holy and these are holy, holy of holy. That's not the way it is. 
we can say that regarding, you know, we could say that regarding the Kohanim and the Kohen Gadol, we can say. It was one separation. God separated the Kohanim. From amongst the Kohanim, he makes a high priest. Yeah, that would be considered one separation. But by the the Levites and the 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 Kohanim, we can learn it in two ways. And the first way we're saying, yeah, it's like one separation. Then it would be like triple separation. God separated the Levium. From the Levium, he separated the Kohanim. From the Kohanim, he separated the Kohen Gadol. He reaches even the highest peak of holiness. But it's all one designation and various levels of designation. What we are suggesting, however, here is a second way of looking at it. There was a complete different separation. And it happened at two different times. And it was for a complete different purpose. As we'll soon see, what do we mean it's a complete different purpose? So Rashi is of the opinion that it's, it's, it is of the second category. That Kohanim are not part of the separation of the Levites, of the Levium. Kohanim have their own designation on their own. And the Levium are separated on their own. Rambam, my man, I don't want to get into it because it's going to get too technical. There is clear proof from the Rambam, from Maimonides, that Maimonides Maiman, that holds, there is, I, I am going to read just a tiny little something from Maimonides, but you can see that the Rambam learns the first way. That is actually one designation. Levium and Kahanam are one club. Just within the club, there is, let's put it this way, it's one club, but in the club you have a primary club and you have an ordinary member. You have a regular member and you have a, pri- a premier member. You see, in Rambam, the laws of Klei HaMikdash, in, in Avoda, in the laws of Klei HaMikdash, Zera Levi Kuloi Muvda L'Avodas HaMikdash. The entire Shevet Levi is separated to the service of the temple. Shenema Be'esahi Hivdo Hashem HaShevet Levi. God separated Shevet Levi. Fine. This is in the beginning of the third chapter. And in the beginning of the fourth chapter, again, in Hilchus Klei HaMikdash, in the first halacha, HaKohanim Hivdo L'Meklal HaLevim. From the Levium, God separated the Kohanim. So the Rambam learns that it was really one separation, and it's two levels in that separation. Rashi doesn't learn that way. Rashi learns it's two complete designations, Kohanim and Levium. And what is, the, what is the content of the difference? The content of the difference is as follows. Kohanim have our servants of God. That means that's who they are. God made them his servants. That's their identity. They're born into it. They don't have to work for it. But that's what it is. God has initially designated these as his serv- His inner servants. And they're directly serving to Hashem. Levium are not servants of God. They're not even called Meshur Se Hashem, the servants of God. These servants of God need some assistance. They can't do it alone. The Jewish people are responsible to help the Kohanim in their work. The Jews have become, as we spoke earlier, disqualified from that service. So they send in representatives and they hire them. They hire the Jewish people, so to speak, to be for payment that they give them a tithing that the Jewish people should go in and serve to the Kohanim, serve the Levium. So they are two things different. Number one, they're not servants to say the unique servants of God. I mean, more than, of course, the Jewish people, the entire Jewish people are called Amalekas Kohanim, servants of God. But, I mean, this unique status of servants of God, the, uh, they're, not, they're not that. They are regular people. 
It's like, and, and their identity is not that they are a servant of Hashem. Their identity is they're, they're Jewish people. They're now, they're now hired to do, when a person gets hired for something, it doesn't mean a servant and a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a person, an employee. A servant, that's your identity. You're born a servant, you die a servant, this is your entire existence. You belong to your master. Uh, an employee is, is a regular, free, individual human being who, who, who dedicates himself for money to a specific task. But that's not his identity. He's running a certain program. He's doing a certain thing. But that's not who he is. That's not his identity. The Levites are paid by the Jewish people for a certain task. So they're essentially very different than the Kohanim. As we spoke earlier, that's why they don't have that level of holiness. And, they, and they're not on God's payroll. They're on the payroll of the Jewish people. And, and this will obviously explain all of this that we've, that we've been... Why the Kohanim are receiving their payment from Hashem and why by the Kahanim it says, Ani I am your portion. And by the Levites it doesn't say that. Based on this, we we'll also go, are going to understand this last point that I asked earlier. Why by the Kohanim it says that the Kohanim are betoch b'nei Yisrael. I am your lot amongst the Jewish people. What does it mean, I am your lot amongst the Jewish people? I, if they're separated. I am your lot amongst the Jewish people means that the Kohanim are amongst the Jewish people in the sense that the Jewish people, every single one of the Jewish people has a lot, has a portion. God gives them a portion in the land of Israel. So you are amongst, the Kohanim are amongst Israel. It's just that all other tribes get a portion of land, and you, God says, get a portion of, of me. So you're equal to them, but you have a portion. Understand? All, all tribes, whether you're from Ruvain, you're from Yehuda, you're from Dun, you're from this tribe, you have a portion. God makes sure that you have something that's yours, because you have an identity, and you need to have something that's yours. So I'm giving you something. Kohanim, you also have something. You don't have the same something that they have. You have me as your something. <laughs> oh, that's wow. But still, in that sense, you're the same like everybody else that has something you can claim yours. And you can claim me as yours. According to Rashi, the Levim, the Levim are not amongst the Jewish people. In the sense that what? They don't have a nachla. They don't have anything. I'm not their portion particularly. They don't even have a portion in the land of Israel. What then? <laughs> you got to take care of them. That's why you find in the Torah a lot of times the Levim are called, in a sense, a little bit the, the poor people. Not necessarily the poor, because they could have had, they got enough from everybody. In the poor, in the sense that they have nothing that they can claim theirs. 
They don't have a portion of the land of Israel. They don't have God as their portion. They're not on God's payroll. So what are they? They're the ones you take care of. You've got to take care of them. So everybody's got to take care of the Libyan. Even the um, 48 cities that the Levium got to live, they had uh, 42 cities that, the, that were given to the Levites to live. Over there as well, the, the, the way the Pasuk says it, is that, that, that each tribe should give for the Levites certain cities to live in. Just like you give other things for the Levium, you have to give them also places to live. Even the, real, even the physical dwellings are given to them by everybody. As they're living not on their own. They have nothing of their own. Why? Because they're helping everybody else out. Their work is to be the assistants, to help out. And that's why by the Levium it just mentions they're not Petoich B'nei Yisrael. They're, not among, they're the one entity amongst the Jewish people that stand out of the Jewish people. They don't have anything. The Kohanim do have something. What's the something the Kohanim? They have God. So now watch this. Watch the depth. So the Rebbe says, I mean there's a lot more here. It's just that I don't want to get too technical and caught into it because a lot more verses and Rashi's and all this, it will, it will, it will be too much. But, but hear the idea. Levi, the meaning of the word Levi means attachment. Levi means attachment. When Levi was born, the reason why his mother called his Le- Leah called Levi, Levi, she said, now my husband will be attached to me because I gave him three sons. So he'll be there, because there was a competition then with creating children. And Levi already bore before any of the other wives. She gave Reuven, Shimon, now the third one, that's already three, that's serious. I'm a, I'm a serious mother of Israel. My husband will become deeply attached to me because of this. So you, um, Levi comes to the word attachment, accompanying attachment. If Shevet Levi is called attachment, it means that they are attached to God in the deepest way. But hold it. We're saying now, earlier, that the Kohanim are considered the servants of God. God is their lot and God is their portion. And the Levites are not even the servants of God. They're serving the servants. And they're working on behalf of the Jewish people. They're of a much lesser connection than the Kohanim. So why are the Levim called the servants of God? Why are they called attached to God? Not the servants of God. Why are they called attached to God? We also know, here, here this amazing thing. It says in the Arizal, in the writings of the Holy Ari, that when Mashiach will come, the Levites will become Kohanim. That the, the, the Kohanim are going to be in the future are going to be the Levian. That's what it says in the Ari. I once saw, and I know that the, Levi, the Levian that I know say, oh, you know, Mashiach will come, you're waiting to work in the base of English. I'm going to be working because I'm the Levi. The Levi will be Kohanim, so we're going to work. Not so fast. <laughs> Why am I saying not so fast? I once saw an explanation of the Rebbe. The Torah doesn't change. You can't change the Torah. The Torah says you have to be the genealogy of Aaron to work in the base of English. In the third temple, you're going to apply halacha. You can't go and change the law. The Arizal say it's going to change. So the Rebbe explains that what it means is that the, 
the, the, those who, the souls of Levium from back then are going to be reincarnated and be born as Kohanim. So the current Kohanim that are alive now were once Levium. It doesn't mean that physically children of Levites, those that are, are going to work in the bank. If, if you don't have a, 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 your, your DNA as a Kohen, you know, we mean spiritual DNA Levium. People that were once Levium, their souls are going to experience a transmigration and, and going to fall into the, into the in, and be born to father and to fathers that are Kohanim, and therefore they're going to halachically be a Kohen, even though the etymology of their soul, the makeup, the chemistry of their soul is a Levi, of the Levies of the past, so that the service is going to have the Levi entity. But even if we say so, it still means that what. That there is something, some quality. If it's the old Levium, these Levium that we spoke about earlier that didn't have any, they were not neither servants of God, they were just helping the Jewish people out, and they didn't have a lot amongst the Jewish people. It seems to be the weakest of the weak. And yet they're going to be the ultimate Kohanim in the third temple. So there must be there's something very special about that. And the answer to that is the ultimate attachment to God is not when you have an identity that you're a servant of God. The very fact that you have an identity that you're a servant of God makes you into a somebody. Who are you? I am a somebody. I am what? I'm a servant of God. That somebodiness is already a disconnect. It's not perfect attachment. Perfect attachment is when you have no existence at all. And you are... We gave a class two weeks ago. Remember the class that I spoke about? Dissolving the ego to the point where you're not even, it's just a service, not you. Remember we spoke about a very interesting class about the complete dissolving of the, the lamps. We talk about the lamps of the menorah. There's no you at all. The highest level of service is when you don't become anything as a result of the service. That you are, you have a badge, you're a subject, you're a servant. It's just about what needs to get done. What needs to get done needs to get done, not about you doing anything. And what needs to get done, you show up. Why? Because it, it needs to get done, not because it needs to happen, not because you need to be something. So let me explain this a little better. And I'm going to turn it right now to the Rebbe and to his Hasidim of the seventh generation. You see, let's talk about after the Holocaust. Europe was decimated completely. Jewish communities decimated. Jews come to America. They start building up Judaism. They're great rabbis who come to America. Really great rabbis. Great rebbes, great Rosh Hashivas. Really ginormous people. Oh my God, thank, you know, God cares and watched and made sure that there should be some, some remnant, and especially some heroic souls that can build. And people that had a vision. And people that had incredible courage built up communities now to build communities you need to have what you need to have both um, entrepreneurs businessmen that are going to provide the means and then you need to have the clergymen you need to have the teachers the school teachers the moris for the girls the 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 the, the rebbeim for the boys the rosh Hashivas, the rabbanim, we call the rabbis, the the uh, all, all the the scribes, all what we call in general, we refer to these people as kli kodesh, holy entities. 
But you can't just have a community just with holy entities, just with clergymen, because you don't have any support. If ain't kemach, ain't Torah, without food, there is no Torah. So we have, and that's the way God set it up. Most of the Jewish people go to work. And thank God, we're very successful in so many different businesses. And we're able to establish them really well. It's a miracle of miracles to see that how God gave success so that we can rebuild from the ashes of the Holocaust. Incredible. And the institutions all over the world, beautiful. What is it comprised of? The supporters and the clergyman. The clergyman gets respected. What's the respect? Uh, I'm a rabbi. I'm a Rosh Hashiva. I'm a Magichir. These are all different levels of uh, God gives uh, teachers. He's a high school teacher. Is it this kind of teacher? That kind of. And he gets respect because of his knowledge, of his Talmudic knowledge, because of his whatever position he is. So, obviously, the people that go to work and make a living, especially those that are successful, you know, thank God, have a decent material life. God has had sh shown kindness and are able to live very comfortably. And many times, the people that are clergymen, well, there are communities that have taken very, very good care of their teachers and what we call the klikodesh, those that are devoted to its holy things, been taken care of in a very special way, and places where they're lacking, yeah, where it's hard, very hard. And it takes a tremendous sacrifice to be a Torah scholar. It devotes their life to the pursuit of knowledge and to study and so forth. And it will mean that you're living in a much lower means, in a much lower level. Does that make the person less satisfied? Sometimes it could. It probably shouldn't. Because you feel that the truth is, even if I don't have wealth and so on and so forth, I have prestige. I have knowledge, I have recognition. Not, I'm not talking arrogance. I'm talking just the fact that um, I'm somebody who's making a huge contribution to my community. I might not be living as in the fancy, fancy uh, whatever, uh, uh, you know, estate, and I don't have, I'm going to take these fancy uh, um, vacations and travel and do this and make a fancy simch. I make when I, when, I, when, I, when I need to make a bar mitzvah for my child, I need the help of the community members, and even then, it's very modest and very simple. My wedding is very simple, and people help me out, and so on and so forth. But people have big respect, because you're, we, we need you, and we know without you, we have no community. And the whole fabric of the community is built based on these people that have made the sacrifice to live with a higher form of life. But that itself gives you a certain status. The status of a whatever co contributor you are in the community as a devotee, as a clergyman, as someone devoted to a higher calling in life. Came to Lubavitcher And he takes, now in Chabad of course, there are community as well. And there's also those devoted to yeshiva and structure and so And the Rebbe starts a new thing. Takes young couples, when he say started with, a, with just a handful, and it grows, 10, 100, 200, 300, until it turns into an army of thousands of people. Now, went across the world. Many of them, of course, do become rabbis and shuls and so on and so forth, but that's not the essence of the, of the chassid, of the shliach, of the emissary, of the chabadnik, it's not that you become, you have a position and you become some. You, what's your business? Your business is 
to help a Jew do a mitzvah. That's your business. You're there to serve the Jewish people, whatever the Jewish people need. It's not a position of honor. I know today there is a huge respect for shluchim across the world, and people have gained it. But first of all, it wasn't that way for many years. Secondly, even as it is, the, the whole thrust of shlichus, the whole th is based on one thing, is a complete devotion and dedication for the need. Let me take a look for, at, at the life of a shlich, for instance. There's no status of my identity, my Judaism, my, while you're living in Yehupetzville, while you're living in the midst, because Jews need me here. And what am I doing over here? What am I doing out of here? It's actually going to be much harder for the chinuch of my children. It's a sacrifice. It'll be much harder for the, 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 the education of children, personal for the comforts of personal life, for spiritual growth as well. If you're in a community and you have great community support, it helps you grow much more. Can't do that either because people need me. Who needs me? Very unlearned people, people that are very far from Judaism. And if you watch a shliach, for instance, watch a shliach when it comes to Pesach. Every Jew sits down, whether you're a businessman, whether you're a clergyman, you sit down with your family, you have a beautiful seder, you talk about, you know, you know. what does a shliach do? He has a big thing going on. There's 300 people over there. He, he, he got no easy, normal seder. He can't sit down and do the mitzvahs and, and, and in a way that he needs to do chaplop or he's sitting and busy making sure that this one is eating a, a matzah and this one gets the wine and this one he's running around like a like a like a mashuganer. And he does a, a whole seder with the people. Maybe, but the kind of, kind of seder is not much of it. He has to come home afterwards, like many shluchim do, and make a quick seder, just himself, or his father, the kids are all sleeping, and so forth. It's a total sacrifice. It's because Jews need a seder. You ever see a Chabad shliach on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, what is he doing? Is he davening? A regular person, Rosh Hashanah, you're standing in front of God, you got to daven. you got to daven that you should have all the basic needs. What is the shliach doing? He's got 300 people in shul. They don't know how to hold even a machzor. Which way? Front way, backwards, upside down. He has to show them each page, here, there. He's not davening. He's not worried. And then he's worrying about the caterer with the food, the meal. The, 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 all this is on his head. Usually it's not a major influence. People come out there alone. And they're running this whole thing. <laughs> and it's total devotion. What is it? Let me explain something. And, I'm, and I don't mean this, God forbid, in any derogatory way. I mean it. It's what we call, and I'll hear very clearly what I'm saying, it's a spiritual schlepper. What's a schlepper? I don't mean the derogatory term of schlepper, a guy who says, oh, a schlepper. A schlepper means like the porter. <laughs> Anybody that needs help schlepping something, he's there to schlep the heavy box. You're, it's the bellboy, in other words, the bellboy. You make this in a fancy hotel, there's a big affair, and there's the bellboy who takes up the suitcases. No one, you're giving the guy a $20 tip. That's nice. You should give the guy a $20 tip. He helped you carry up the suitcases. But the bellboy is not a Matthias. The bellboy is not an entity that gets applauded. No one is making a big deal about the bellboy who's pulling up and taking up the suitcases, bringing it from your room down the room. But without these bellboys, and I don't mean only the bellboys, I mean everything that goes along with it, nothing, is, nothing, nothing really happens. So you have an entire group of people who have been trained to utterly abnegate their entire existence for the well-being of the Jewish people. For the well-being of whoever anybody needs something. 
So someone travels in Yehopetz, well, he needs kosher food, he has the Chabad over there that will provide him with kosher food. That's not the reason why Chabad went out, so that people take vacations and go and get food. They're there to help Jews discover Yiddishkeit. But if that's needed, then that's there as well. The point over here is, it's not a position of status. You're really devoting yourself with absolute devotion, not to be anything, just to serve. Just to serve without... Now, thank God the Ebershta helps. Shluchim across the entire world miraculously thrive. And many of them are able to build big, big, big enterprises in terms of Chabad centers, and which are beautiful. Some more, some not. Some remain with very small little support. Miraculously, they survive and their families financially to keep themselves afloat. So some better, some worse. There's a, it's not one size fits all. But there's a certain element of complete... It's a service. It's Levi. It's the tribe of Levi. It's not for anything. It's not your becoming anything. Because even when the shliach, for instance, is very successful, and thank God, you know, most are very successful... If you talk, and if they're a real, if if they retain their chasidishkeit, the, the chasid element, there's no credit for self. It's everything is the Rebbe. You see, and sometimes it bothers people. You say, "Come on, but you did this all." No, it's the Rebbe. The Rebbe is kaiches. The Rebbe is doing the Rebbe. It's a complete abnegation. There's no self there at all. It's a It's it's being a holy schlepper. And that's what Shevet Levim. They were actually were the schleppers. They were the ones who pulled the urn. A tribe now. Even in Chabad, this didn't exist. Chassidim, you know, this is, this is a chiddush of the last generation. I mean, started in the sixth generation, but primarily the seventh generation, where people utterly abnegate themselves. To what? To the need. What is needed? What does a shliach not do? Shliach never said, if he's in the party, he said, we don't do this. There's no if you need help, then they should be there to get that help done, not that. Oh, the, you know, these are obviously, there are specific things the Rebbe didn't want the Shluchim to get involved in. But other than that, any need that any person has, that's, that a Jew has, that's in their jurisdiction, in their city, is the responsibility of the Shluchim and the Shluchim. It's their work. So it's not about what we do, it's about what is needed. That's the Rebbe's calling. To create an entire generation of people who are shaved lady. At the end of everything, what are they and who are they? Nothing. <laughs> and yet they're the happiest nothings. Because when you become nothing, as we discussed two weeks ago, that's when there's real joy. What are you? The servant of what is needed. That is awesome. And obviously that tells us about if you can have an entire army of selfless devotion, it must be the one that's the general of the army, is the epitome of selflessness and of non-beingness. And that's why that non-beingness and that and that um, and that uh, what would be the word? That selflessness and and and, and sacrifice is channeled, that's the energy that flows, and that's what promotes, generates, and brings about this powerful type of service called the Chabad 
shliach, and not just a Chabad shliach, but the Chabad movement. It's unique, very powerful. And that's what we see this week in Parshas Koirach, the uniqueness of the tribe of Levi. Obviously, it's through this selflessness that God himself can enter. And we have, and that's why the ones who officiate in the third base of Migdash is those that come from the stock, from the spiritual uh, dynasty of Shevet Levi, that, that, are, that are not even Kohanim, that have a status of the servants of God, just the servants of the servants. And the, and the, the attendees of everybody that needs work to be done on their behalf. Who will you turn to? Turn to the Chabad, Shliach, the local Shliach, the play, every situation. Someone needs someone to be buried, someone needs someone to be stopped a, cre a, cre a cremation, someone needs whatever it should be to go to the prison, to go to the, any situation. Who is there? Local Chabad Shliach. He stops everything he's doing. A Jew needs help. And that's the highest calling. May we merit already that all this work should already produce the ultimate revelation of Mashiach Tzadkenu. And may it be now.